Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listen in colour in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business. But it's personal. Welcome to another Saturday morning here on Jazz FM and another Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. But today, ladies and gentlemen, we have one with a difference because I've got not one, but two business shapers with me here on the programme. And they've both been on it before. First up, originally on the programme back in October 2017, our first guest was an original BBC Dragon on Dragon's Den and is the founder of the Yo brand, which includes Yo Sushi, Yo Tell, Yo Home, and probably other things as well. As we're speaking, he's probably invented them. Welcome to the programme. It's Simon Woodruff. Hello. Hello. You're back. I am. No, I like coming in here. Do you? <clears throat> it's a nice basement. It's kind of cool. <laughs> and you guys are interesting. You're off the off the cuff. Off the cuff is exactly right. We have nothing scripted and we'll see what that does for the next one hour of radio. So brilliant, Simon. Thank you for coming. You're going to have some fun today. And if you think two years ago seems a long time, then please welcome our second guest today, portfolio entrepreneur, Morris Helfcott. He was on, in fact, back in 2012, you were on show five. That's a long time ago. Before we knew better. No one invited me before, no one has invited me since, so how could I resist a second time round? <laughs> Morris is the founder of uh, Amory Capital, and it's his vehicle for numerous investments, including Oliver Sweeney, uh, was Long Tall Sally, in fact, you've divested, I think, that one over there, and quite a few other things as well, and he also uh, is on lots of boards, he's a chairman and director. Welcome back, you've been busy in the last five years as well. I have, but uh, I enjoy it. He looks like he enjoys it, he says with gritted teeth. During the next hour, so we're going to hear how they both approach business, sometimes in the same way I imagine, sometimes in very different and radical ways. But both of them have been super successful. So what we're going to hear is those two talking to each other. It won't be Jeremy Paxman. They're going to be gentle with each other, I'm sure. But if they do go paxman well, that's fine. Just stay with me. Right, bit of music, though, before we get going. This is from Ramsey Lewis here on Jazz Shapers, and it's This Is Money In The Pocket. That was Ramsey Lewis with Money in the Pocket, and you're with us on a very special edition of Shaper on Shaper here on Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. I'm Elliot Moss. My two business shapers today are Morris Helfgott and Simon Woodruff, and uh, both uh, successful in their own way and both very different in their backgrounds. And I'm going to start the thing going here. Simon, you left school at 16. Morris, you went to Harvard after a first-class degree at Manchester. Pretty different backgrounds when you've both ended up here talking to me. It's true. I mean... I don't know about you, but I reckon to do anything really difficult, which is you've done some really difficult things, and I know I have, and to have all those sleepless nights and to put yourself through that, the agony of being an entrepreneur and doing things, there has to be some kind of what I call grit in the oyster, something that um, sort of drives you. And I think mine was, I always tell a story that um, when I was growing up, I used to tell people I was going to be a millionaire by the time I was 20. You know, I was a bit of a show-off, really. And then when I got to 20, of course, it was love and peace in the 60s. And I thought, well, you know, I'll leave it till I'm till later. And I went through my 30s and eventually I got to 40 and I had a sort of tear your hair out moment. I've got to do it now. Um, but 
I think the drive for me was that we were always, I think, well, for kickoff, in our family, in our extended family, we were always a bit less well off than the rest of them. And I always wanted to be one of them. I had the one of them thing. And that was a real drive to prove myself. And not just to show off, but to prove to other people that I was something. Do you have a grit in the oyster? I think that's interesting. I think proving to other people is is part of the motivation that is not particularly I'm not particularly proud of, but I think is is part of what drives me. Uh, I don't think it was very much the amount of money to make, but it was the idea of success. Mm. Uh, I I was pretty successful all the way through my school and my childhood. I was the captain of the gym team or the fencing team, or I was the the leader of Jewish prayers or ran the societies at university or whatever it is. And then I had a successful career at M&S. And then when I got to my mid-30s or late 30s, I felt, you know, I'd been successful. I want to do it on my own. And there was a sense of being able to prove to the world, prove to myself that I could be independent. Mm. That was really more my motivation. So in a way, your moment was in your 30s, whereas my moment was in my 20s. Perhaps that's... When I had to step out of the sort of... Because you were in a fairly good comfort zone with all that success in the corporate world why would you want to step outside and go through all of that or wasn't it like that for you well i think when when i left mns after 17 years in 2004 i had opportunities to do other big corporate jobs mm. and i had been passionate about mns mm. i loved it i believed in its values mm. i believed in in quality and value and service in community and looking after people well mm. i believed in all of that but i'd really had enough mm. and to go and do something else for another corporate i felt like got it done it mm. got the t-shirt don't want to do that mm. And I was also kind of naive because I my salary had always been very good. It had always risen much faster than my spending. And I thought, well, what I want to do is have capital. I want to be independent. And so I took my savings and I invested it in the first business that we bought to turn around, which happened to be Long Tall Sally. And after a few months, I realized I'd made a number of mistakes. It was going to cost a lot more. As you do. It was going to be a lot more expensive. Um, And uh, then after six months, I thought I'd sorted it all out and we bought another business. And in fact, then about 18 months after I started my entrepreneurial career, I found that I had no savings left. I had no income. I had two businesses that were going south very fast that I was responsible for. And I thought, if I don't sort this out, what's going to happen to me? And it was a very, very difficult time. Mm Stay with me for much more for my business uh, shapers here today, talking to each other and finding out about the grit in the oyster and what the reality of running businesses is really like. We're coming back to both of those in a moment. Time for some music right now. This is Nora Jones with Carry On. You're listening to Jazz Shapers. This is a Jazz Shapers special. I've got Shaper on Shaper action here, right in front of me, Simon Woodruff and Morris Helfgott, and they're talking to each other about all sorts of things around what it is that makes them who they are. Morris, I think you wanted to ask Simon a question. When you talk about grit in the oyster, I think that's right. I think there's also, when I reflect on myself, there was a huge amount of naivety, a belief in what could be done and what I could do, and, and an unrealistic sense of what the risks really were and the price that you pay. 
Um, but when you're swimming, you've got to swim once you're in the water. Do you, do you feel what some of those really dark moments when it was hard? Oh, yeah. I mean, I really relate to that. And actually, you know, I mean, I started a restaurant at the age of 45. I mean, what do you do when you've been a roadie, you've been a set designer, you've done some TV, you, you know, done very lots of different things. You're running out of money. You don't, I say running out of money. Don't feel too sorry for me. I was down to my last 200 grand, though. You know, what do you do? You start a restaurant. You know, extremely high risk, almost certainly going to fail. But during that two years that it took, I was going to open in one year and it took me two years in the end, which is what made the restaurant. It was a very good thing that it did happen later. But they were very halcyon years for me. You know, that I absolutely loved that period. And during, you know, that period, I, I truly believed for 90% that it was going to work. For 10% of the time, um, I had a lot of doubts and that was pretty uncomfortable in my body, you know. And for 5% of it was sheer terror, you know, waking up in the middle of the night going, what am I doing? Who the hell do I think I am that I could do something like this? But um, I think that if I'd been, you know, that is why accountants generally aren't entrepreneurs. That is why people, the more educated, in fact, you're, you're exceptional, I'd say, the more educated you are in business and everything, the less likely you are to become an entrepreneur. Because if you actually look at it statistically, you're not going to succeed. Um, I, but I, I believed it. I, I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, I don't call myself an entrepreneur per se. I mean, I would say, you know, whatever business shape it means, I'll tick that box. Yeah. Um, I, I take I take risk. I do entrepreneurial things. But what I've never done, and I've never been motivated to do, and I've had the belief to do, is what you've done, which is really have an idea at the kitchen table and start it absolutely from scratch. I've taken things. I've changed them. I've risked them. I've, I've evolved them radically. I love to radically change things, uh, but not actually to begin things from scratch. And I do admire that. So when you get that moment of seeing something you want to do, I'm sure you have lots come across your table, but what's the moment that, and how do you do that? So for, for me... From an idea. For, from, a, from an idea perspective, I, I can only recite the, the basics that everybody knows. You know, does the, is the market receptive? Is the product attractive? Is the team that are going to put your put, put around it uh, capable? Do they have a track record? And then you have that, that sense, that feeling of whether customers are going to be attracted to it or not. I do agree with you and I don't and that my rational head completely is with you but actually often I don't do it like that um, often I, I do it because um, I'm obsessed with an idea and as you say I start things from scratch I'm obsessed be with being able to reinvent something com and make it completely different and I want to see that come to fruition and I know that in larger groups of people that new ideas get knocked to the ground very quickly right. because there's always a reason why not to do them. So what turns me on is doing it myself or with one other like-minded person. I can imagine doing it with you. You know, we'd, 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 we'd get on very well in that yes. sense. Let's go for it. But we would know when to quit and cut bait, you know. You've, execution's the key, but you've got to get out if it's not going to work. But you've got to allow things to develop. 
stay with me for much more. And by the way, if there's a business set up here, I'd like a cut as well, because <laughs> there, is, there is a commission here on Jazz FM, just to be super clear about obsession and making money. Much more from my guests on this Shaper on Shaper program today with Simon Woodroff and Morris Healthcott. After this, from our partners at Mishkondoray, it's a welcome return to Paddy O'Connell and the new sessions and the answer to the questions that are going to come up are all around what is cryptocurrency. The News Sessions with Paddy O'Connell. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Chats FM. Hello, welcome to the News Sessions. I'm Paddy O'Connell. In the past few years, whole currencies have been invented called cryptocurrencies, which have absolutely nothing at all to do with the bank of any country. Today, we're going to open the vault of mystery about something now worth billions of pounds to ask what's in it for you and what about safety and tax. Here from law firm Mishkondorea, our tax lawyer, Helen Cox. Hello, Helen. Hi there. And cybersecurity lead Joe Hancock. Hello, Joe. Hello. Now what people are really looking at is they're looking at investing in Bitcoin. Um, people are some, sometimes holding that longer term to see if the value rises again. And people are, are playing around with it. It's, it's an interesting new pheno- phenomenon. And people are buying in one cryptocurrency, converting that into another cryptocurrency, seeing what happens mm. with values. So, I mean, people love to invest in anything, don't they? From pork bellies to Krugerrands. So guess what? People are thinking, oh, I'll buy a Bitcoin at 4,000. And in two weeks, it could be worth 4,100. I mean, it's that volatile. That's what's happening. People are using it as its own market, really. And it's gone from a currency to a marketplace. Yeah, definitely. You see people trading between Bitcoin and other kind of currencies. I mean, some of the original transactions were were criminal in nature. Uh, It's Bitcoin and and other kind of currencies uh, have been trying hard to shake off that kind of past criminality. It has strong associations with things like online drug dealing. Lots of um, cybercrime uses Bitcoin, these cryptocurrencies, because some of them are anonymous, some of them are pseudo-anonymous. And so they presented a bit like cash, a bit of a haven for criminality. That's not necessarily where we are today. Um, Criminals have moved to other currencies within the crypto world. Bitcoin is now pretty much clean but you you know you are seeing everything from you can get a debit card now that you can use to pay for things that will will debit you in bitcoin um, but you don't really see anyone taking it on the high street yet it really is if you just look at bitcoin really is a store of value people are holding on to it a bit like you'd hold on to gold mm. and, and i've mentioned wild west that's another one as well isn't it yes there's uh, i mean the last time i checked there was 1400 or 1500 different kind of cryptocurrencies or kind of wow. altcoins from bitcoin uh, and there's new ones being added every day it's so easy to go out and set up your own currency all you need to do is get some people to accept it uh, and at that point, you know, the, the value will potentially rise. The New Sessions podcast with Paddy O'Connell from Mishkondorea. Find more of the New Sessions podcasts dealing with key legal matters on iTunes. I hope you're enjoying our very special Shaper on Shaper Jazz Shapers programme today. Two guests in the studio with me who are both asking good questions and I imagine learning a bit from each other and also, by the sounds of it, thinking about plotting and planning a, a new business. It's Simon Woodroff, founder of the Yo Group of Brands and Maurice Healthcott, founder of Amory Capital. Simon, over to you. Yeah, well, you are, in many ways, you are more of an investor than I am, Morris. You know, I've always done my own things. I've invested my own money in my own things. But I'd like to know, you know, how much, honestly, how much making money out of it is the driver for you? I and mean, what's your relationship with money? It's, it's such a good question because, uh, and I'll give a caveat to the answer, uh, because people who are lucky enough to pay the bills and have a roof over their head can afford to say that money is less important to them than if you don't. And I I do respect that. But I actually am motivated by money. 
I'm motivated to be financially independent. I'm motivated to provide for my family and have the creature comforts and luxury and some of the status that money brings. I, I can't deny that. That's true. Very honest. But I don't like doing things for the money. And if I think about my career at M&S, for example, I never really thought about making money. I thought about buying the product better. I thought about serving the customers better. I thought about um, treating the staff better. I thought about the business strategy better. That was my motivation. And yes, my salary would increase and my career would improve and I'd make money. Whereas as an investor, I make more Faustian bargains. I think about what the exit's going to be. I make more compromises. I accept things that I'm less comfortable with because ultimately I'm responsible for taking a project through from the beginning of investment to making an exit. And I'm thinking more about how this project is going to make money or that's a very high part of the what I'm thinking about as opposed to all the good things about legacy of the business and, and other balance things. And I don't like that. Mm. I'm, um, this is not something you'd expect to hear from a businessman, but I'm touched by your sensitivity and compassion for people who are struggling with money because I went through, after I left school, I mean, we went poor, poor, but we didn't have a great deal of money as family growing up. And I went through a period where I really was quite poor. I used to get to a Wednesday and run out of money and, you know, put flour underneath the grill and, if I was lucky, put a bit of jam on it just to eat. So I know what it's like to be really poor. And I've always been really related to people in that. And I have the same relationship with money in the sense that... Um, you know, the ultimate fear is that you don't have enough money to survive and all of that. But how much status do I really need? And how much, you know, I like a bit of that, I like a bit of luxury, but uh, not running out of money is my real fear. Not losing it is my real fear, I suppose. Um, well, and, you know, the, yeah. the, 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 the psychological research, Daniel Kahneman, whatever, yeah. saying that loss aversion is a big motivation for yes. all of us as human beings. Yes, exactly. It's much, much more frightening to lose something we have yes. than to be excited yeah. about what we don't have. Right. Uh, I personally have been very lucky. I was brought up very comfortably. Yes. Um, I've always been very comfortable. But interesting, I was talking to my mum yesterday, and for some reason she was talking about her background in Bulawayo in uh, Matabili land. Was she poor? And she was explaining that she remembers as a kid in a tiny little town in, in today's Zimbabwe yeah. that she and her sister lived in an apartment above the shop in the veranda her parents lived in the one room in the house behind the apartment mm. and the two apartments her and the neighbours shared one bathroom so they weren't that comfortable yeah no that's right yeah but I mean I often wish that politicians were I think it was very difficult for a politician certainly brought up with a reasonable mm. amount of comfort to actually understand that you know in the north of England or wherever it is that there are people who suffer on a sort of daily basis with not having enough money just about to survive and look after their children and do all of that and um, you know I think I live in the lap of luxury really and I but I definitely do have a sense if I can't believe my luck you know, and I, I try and celebrate that. And, you know, and people say it's not luck. You did a lot of things. And I'm very, I'm very respecting of what I've done. I admire myself for having done it, actually. I'm proud of it. Um, but I also think I'm very lucky to have got what I've got. But you also seem to me, and we, we met each other five, ten years ago. I don't remember I came to, to, yeah. to visit you. But seeing you again today, you seem so youthful and so energetic yeah. and so vital. And I'm wondering if you think that perhaps starting a business 
much later than many other people started yes. business has contributed to you feeling this way or were you just always younger of mind and that's why you could do it at a later age and others couldn't what a great question yeah i mean i, I think this is great because i always think i'd have done much better if i'd sort of been like richard branson and started at 21 and i started yo sushi at 45 which is really my entrepreneurial career so um yeah, I mean, I I have still got an energy, and I sometimes think so. I'm just doing, you know. Obviously, we've done the Yo Sushi and Yo Tells have done very well, really. So I've had two hits under our belt, and I'm now doing Yo Home, which I have I have I have to hold my hands up and admit it hasn't taken me seven years to get to this. It's long awaited, and hopefully it'll be up and running next year. Um, and you know, it's quite stressful sometimes. You know, and we, when you do something new, it is difficult doing it. And I sometimes think, well, why am I doing this? I wake up and have these. Why are you? doing this moment but actually you've got to keep on going you know and you hear older people say i'm 66 by the way but you hear older people say that but i do feel i still feel immensely passionate about doing things and i think it's the idea that really gets i, I, I want to see it come to life keep on to fruition and also i think you know there's a bit of legacy involved in that if i'm really honest um you know i'd like people to say you know you've eaten in your sushi you've you've uh, slept in your hotel and now you're living in your home <laughs> and i've got another one which, YOLO uh, well right. exactly and well we funnily enough I, I, I've got a, I'm doing a resort I'm just starting on the process of doing a resort who knows what will happen but um, and now you can come and chill out in Yotopia <laughs> Hold that thought. Hold that thought of Yotopia here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers and fascinating conversation between my two business shapers there on this uh, Shaper on Shaper special. Uh, time for some music right now before we come back to Miss Hugh Masakela and Grazing in the Grass. That was the brilliant Hugh Masakela with Grazing in the Grass. I'm with Morris and Simon. First name terms now. We'll drop their last name. It's much easier. Morris and Simon talk about all sorts of things. Both of you alighted on the energy point, And you made the observation, Morris, that Simon does look incredibly youthful, feels young. And you're right, it's sort of 20 years later, but you happen to start at the age of 45, whether age makes any difference or not at all. In terms of energy, what about you? Because I've known you for a while and I've always been struck by your energy, Morris. Where does your energy come from? What, What drives that, do you think? You know, I get up in the morning. I'm excited about what I'm going to do that day. I'm excited to meet people. Most of my energy comes from meeting people um, and from newness. You know, I can't really sit still. Uh, I love things that are... I'm discovering new things all the time. I recently... uh, I started chairing a software business, the first purely software business that I've been involved in. Um, and we have a thousand clients who are omnichannel retailers and we provide the back office. It's called Bright Pearl. We provide the back office for those retailers. And for me, one of the greatest things about it is I get to meet lots of entrepreneurial <laughs> omnichannel retailers who are changing the way business is being done today. So I find doing the same thing really boring. I find discovering new things drives my energy you know the ha- in organizations there have to be all sorts of people there have to be the worker bees and this and that, and that but i still certainly people who are working with me the thing that i'm looking for mostly in employing people is is enthusiasm i think it, and for anybody who's young so starting out in business you know for all the stuff you put on your cv for all the things about technical things that you learned at university if you could have enthusiasm the sort of enthusiasm you're hearing from us today i guess it's very very 
attractive to an employer. So uh, what, what I'm trying to think of the uh, the phrase. It's, uh, you know, you, you um, hire the personality and you develop the skill. Mm-hmm. I think so much of it is about personality. It's yeah. about energy. It's about the way you have empathy with people, yeah. the way yeah. you make people yeah. feel when you want to work with them. Uh, and and so those are the kinds of people I like to work with and the kinds of people we like to have in our businesses. And I think more and more, I think this generation, um, the last couple of generations, have really set the standard for treating people well. You know, the, the political correctness we have has brought a very good part that we treat people very well. And I think I've been pretty sharp in my time over the years, you know, and, and had to do, you know, had my back against the wall and, you know, um, but more and more as I get older, I find that you're absolutely right. If you're kind to people, um, kind but tough, you know, I actually think we should be able to fire people more easily than we do. It, it gives them a chance to stop yeah. messing around and get on and do something proper. Um um, but to to set a, to find a groups of talented people and then set them to work. And in my words, I always say, let them do do their thing their way, not my way. You know, and I've learned that. And um, we're almost at the end, but not quite, with Morris and Simon, our business shapers here today on Shaper on Shaper. And we've been listening to them talking about what's important to them and what drives them. Morris. One of the things that always amuses me when you read in the newspapers about what people uh, billion-dollar valuations of companies and what people are worth and all this kind of nonsense is being on the inside of it. You know how much BS is involved in it mm-hmm. and how different um, financial constructions have very different kinds of value that are not expressed well in headlines and newspapers. And I noticed, if it's right, that when you sold uh, Yo Sushi, you sold a percentage for a certain price, but you also maintained a perpetual royalty on sales in the business and the brand forever. And my instinct would be that actually that probably was worth or is and will be worth perhaps even more than you ever sold the the business for. Um, And it's a way of um, really you being incredibly, incredibly smart and strategic and long-term in terms of capturing some value for your efforts. Yeah, I mean, that, that is true. Um, and I've done the same with the Yotel, and I'll do the same with all the other Yo brands. Um, and it's sort of setting your market, your, your, yourself a mark that says, that is what I'm going to do. Don't even argue with it. That's how it has to be. And I think it's right and proper. I mean, I came out of the music business, and that's what musicians do, and you get a royalty. And it would, seems to me that if, since I sort of conceived something in my head, which was Yo Sushi and Yotel, um, that to walk away from it, even with a lot of money, would feel not terribly good. But to have a small royalty out of it and a continuing relationship with those people and to still be proud of it is a good way to do it. So I think, um, you know, possibly you'll see more royalties um, coming up so yeah i think for something that you create and and as you say will always be associated yes. with uh, and you were the brand personality as part of it it's it's smart financially but i also get the emotional connection to it that's right exactly and of course robin Rowland, who you know did most of the grunt work on building yo sushi into a large company and who i've always credited with it i remember sitting in an award show with him one day and he said well why do they get you on stage and not me and i said look robin if you got on stage you'd talk about the like for like figures from last year and nobody's really interested i'd probably have something funny to say so you need different people and you know in an entrepreneurial sense i'm a i'm an innovator and a starter i 
I'm good at getting. Th- I, th- I think one of the great things in life is what are you good at. I'm good at getting things started, getting people enthused, getting things driving them forward, not dropping, doing the best, 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 best. And I'm good at talking about them and publicity and all of that. So I try to do what I'm good at all the time, and that's reflected in my deals. And find partners. What, what, what are you good at? So not, not not as exciting, but I think what I'm what I'm what I'm good at is the strategic. Yes. What I'm good at is the people and the relationships, yes. and what I'm good at is motivation and change. Yeah. You know, I I like I, what I'm terrible at is the day to day, is following things through, is being disciplined, is being consistent. I'm really, really not good at that. Um, and so when I have coaching conversations or when I talk to people in my teams, it's a little bit ironic because I know how bad I am at those things and how important they are for them to do them. So I give them feedback about how they should do them better, even though I know I can't do it myself. The disarming <laughs> honesty is very attractive. And we both know that our disarming honesty is attractive. I think I, I think yeah. that's probably right. Yeah. There's no yeah. there's no reason there's yeah. no reason not to be yes. honest, right? right? We're all that's, fallible yeah. human yeah. beings, yeah. and uh, and if we understand each other and honest about that, we'll be successful. Mm. I'm going to hold it there because we're going to run out of time. Just before though, <clears throat> we conclude. What's the one thing you both learned from each other in this short exchange? This fantastic exchange of, of conversation and insight. Simon, what have you learned? from Morris what you have in these conversations you get reminded of your yourself I can see it a, a mirror to Morris I can see a lot of myself in him um, but more than anything else I feel inspired you know to go away today and um, and I hope people listening feel the same way Morris I I, I uh, don't want to sound like some soppy romantic but I'm staring in, <laughs> I'm staring into your eyes here and you're so youthful and so and empathetic and it's just, just a fantastic conversation and I'm 15 years behind you and I hope for the next 30, 40 years we're both having fun engaging in business and life and, and doing this kind of thing. Let me tell you, the best is yet to come. It gets better. <laughs> what a brilliant way to end. Thank you so much, both of you. Um, not really guinea pigs here on uh, Business Shapers, but actually two pros. And that was a bit of a masterclass. And like both of you, and I often, and I, the reason I love doing this is because I get inspired every time I meet someone who's doing something fabulous. And I go, wow, I really do. Thank you so much. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or head over to mishkondorea.com forward slash jazz shapers.